everyone and welcome to Everyday Linux, Life in the Context of Linux, episode 131, Man Down, Man Down, recorded February 16th, 2014, brought to you by Element LP Productions. Well, as you may have guessed, uh, I am not the Sultan of the Soapbox, this is Seth the Gooey Kid coming at you because our fearless leader Mark is uh, having some family issues to taking care of, our prayers go out to him and his family, and uh Definitely. With me is the other two-thirds of our present trio, Chris, <laughs> the command line godfather. What's going on, Chris? Oh, not a whole lot. Feeling another year older today, just so everyone knows that I have celebrated a birthday just recently. I'm not saying when, but just recently. How's well, that? Well, happy belated birthday, man. <laughs> Well, thank you, Seth. And uh, just so you guys all know, the this is definitely one of the best or better birthdays that I've had. Um, I had a do nothing day, or as it turned out to be almost a do nothing couple of days. So, it, if you've never had a do nothing day where you just do absolutely nothing, you need to. And I mean, almost absolutely nothing. I don't even think I sat in front of my computer or anyone else's computer or even talked on the phone for more than probably an hour. The for the the, the couple of days that I took out. So it was awesome. Wow. <laughs> I feel so much better. Yeah, it was crazy. It's pretty cool. So you are going to be well-rested, ready to carry the show on your back. Uh, You know, the sad thing is, is I don't even know how long my computer's going to be stable. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week we have two weeks worth of news we're bringing at you, and then we're going to cover in our uh, brief editorial style a windows puff piece we found on zdnet um it, the <laughs> puff piece that's one yeah, word for it the title was five reasons i'd rather one run windows 8 than linux and uh you know the link for that will be in the show notes and we'll get to that eventually but yeah so um you know we missed last week some illnesses happened and you know, the flu season and all of the weather, people get cro- uh, cooped up in tight spaces and you don't want to go out when there's feet of ice everywhere. So if one person gets sick, the next thing you know, everybody's sick. But hopefully we'll be back next week. And just a short teaser, next week I got us a guest host. So we are going to be talking to someone. You'll have to tune in next week to find out who it is. Uh, we will be talking about a topic that you know, I don't know if we've ever talked about it before on the show, but it is computer and technology related. I don't know, Chris. I think we, I think we touched on it a couple of times, but we really didn't, uh, go very deep into the subject. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one to see what comes cool. up. Cool. Yeah. I have been for the last two weeks, I have been a cat and mouse game with my goats. I've come to the conclusion that goats are extremely intelligent animals. Um, they were getting out of the fence and I was like, I can't figure out why, you know, one time they were getting out. And so I walked around and a tree had fallen on the fence and knocked it down. I go, Oh, okay. That's where they're getting out. You know, it's easy to see, but it wasn't yeah. down anywhere. And so I finally was able to figure where they were kind of 
pulling it down a little and actually jumping over. So I did some repairs to it one day and the next day, only the biggest goats were getting out. So that tells me I was in the right spot. So then I went and I repaired that section a little <laughs> bit more. And after I repaired it yesterday and today, no goats are out. So at least for the time being, I am still smarter than a goat. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, I was going to say it's pretty bad when you get bested by a goat, but yeah, I will definitely agree. Those goats are, they can be very intelligent. Um, they can also be pretty much dumb as a box of rocks, but I will say that there are sometimes that I wonder what goes beyond behind those horns. Yeah. Well, you know, if they ram stuff too much, they might lose some intelligence, but I think they start out pretty smart. <laughs> so no, it was, uh, you know, I mean, they're there all day around the fence and I only go look at it when there's problems. So they're probably saving up, right? you know, but <laughs> it, it gets me some exercise in and it gets me out. And man, over the weekend, I don't know how you've been, but the weather here, it was like 70 degrees today. So we've had, you wow. know, I think, um, Thursday morning, it was below freezing, uh, and it got up okay. And I don't remember if it got too freezing Friday, but there was a warm up and yesterday and today both been in the seventies and we're looking at highs in the sixties or seventies pretty much the whole week. Wow. Yeah. No, we, we picked up a little bit of warmth too. Uh, we're above freezing finally for a lot since, you know, I think we took two weeks of below freeze, below zero, matter of fact. So for the last couple of days, we've had a lake out front of my house as the street has thawed out. And yeah, it, it takes a while for those street drains to, you know, actually get water going yeah. to them. So yeah, we ended up with a lake for about a, at least the last two days. I, I went out actually and was going to go somewhere and I wait, I was just about ready to, to go out to my car and I got out to the car and went, no, no, four inches of water. No. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so I went back inside and took my boots off and started watching movies because there was a movie marathon on FX today. Cool. So, yeah, we it was fun. I, one of those things that we don't get to do yeah, very often. We we here in the Dallas area um, are already tied for I believe the fifth most all time of days where it has gotten below freezing. So you know we've still got another month of winter and. It's it's uncommon but not unheard of to have a really a cold snap in early April. So we could definitely uh you know, this could be a record setting year for us. Um I know it's been we've burned a lot of wood at my house. Yeah. So we yeah. were talking a little bit before the show started, Chris, and we decided to kind of throw it in the show. We were talking on Plex. You know, we talked about it yep. I guess in depth, what has that been a month ago now? And it just always seems, um, yeah, it always like seems that. to be, we're talking about it with each other and some of the feedback we get relates to it. So Chris, I just kind of lob this up for you. So, uh, talk a little bit about Plex. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Plex is still running great in my house. Actually, the funny thing is, is the more people that I show this to, the more people are actually trying to set it up in their house as well. Um, the biggest roadblock people seem to run into is the, how do I stream it on my dumb TV? Uh, and there's actually a couple of different ways that are fairly cheap. Uh, the first one is the Google, uh, Google TV Chromecast. thing. Yeah, Chromecast. That is actually now fully supported by Plex. And so is the Roku. So for, you know, 40, $50, unless you find them refurbished, you can get your Plex server going on your main rig 
uh, put a two terabyte hard drive in your computer, load up Plex, and then connect to it. And it works great. Um, we're actually thinking about putting a couple more Roku's into the house. So, uh, but it's, it's dirt simple to set up, guys. It's definitely worth taking a look at. I got it. I got a couple so, of questions for you here. Um, okay. Sure. But now if I was watching, like, say on just a laptop or a tablet, would I be able to just like, uh, watch them through my, through a web browser? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's still covered under their free section of their license too. So you wouldn't have to even pay for the, the lifetime membership or the monthly membership or anything. So if, if you wanted to sit in your living room chair and watch it through your web browser, um, as long as there's the, as long as the Plex server is running and you're connected to the same subnet, uh, when you fire, it automatically reroutes you local. Uh-huh. So instead of, so you're not streaming it out to the Plex servers and then bouncing it to you locally again. It's actually, it stays internal. Cool. Um, do you think that would work? Would that work over wireless with the end connection? Oh yeah. Um, that's what I'm running Where, right now. Like if they My were Roku. both wireless, like, from Plex to the router and then the router to me. Do you think that would work or should I? You mean you're, you're going wireless to the router from the Plex yeah, server? Maybe. I mean, um, I would say if you're getting the full end speeds, the, the 104 uh-huh. plus, really? you would be fine. Uh, yeah, because right now my, uh, the, the Roku box is an old G connection. Okay. So it's only streaming at 54, but it streams, you know, the, I just played with the quality settings today and I cranked it all the way up just to see if I, if my wireless right. would handle it. And it took, it took the quality settings at full speed, even at the 54G. Wow. So yeah, I'm really impressed with it. Very impressed. Um, the, the computer though did feel, you know, whoever, wherever the Plex server is hosted at will feel it. Because it's got to do all that GP or, um, it's got to do all that, you know, re, uh, re-rendering right. because it renders on the fly. So if, if you're not streaming at, you know, the full native resolution, it has to scale it up or down. Um, and it does it all in, internally on the Plex server before it goes out. So you definitely give it some CPU and, uh, it's good. Uh, trust me, cool. you'll love it. <laughs> One last Plex-related question. I have a machine. I I, I bought it used, picked it up cheap. Uh, it's got mm-hmm. pretty decent CPU, but the motherboard, it's like a weird motherboard, and the most RAM it will support is 4 gig. Well, that if it was doing fine. only Plex? Yeah, you should be okay. fine. Give it a bunch of hard drives and, and let it go. Yeah, it, um, it, it's, it's a big box, and so there's lots of room to plug uh, hard drives in, although I might have to get a SATA card, uh, you know, and rate them up in mm-hmm. there or just J bottom and, and then, uh, cause I'm really thinking yeah, about doing um, that. Uh, the, the, right now I'm hosting Plex on my big rig, my giant P, you know, the Core i5 with 16 gigs of RAM and yada, 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 but I could be playing my first person shooters on it and then the kids fire up Plex and I don't even feel it. Cool. So when I, I, I had somebody trade me some hardware for some work I did. And so there, it's, it's a giant motherboard. It's going to be, it's going to rival my, my current gaming machine when I get it set up. But it's a, it's got 10 SATA ports on it. 10? So I'll be able to, yeah, it's a monster. It wasn't so far away. I'd go grab it so I can show it to you guys. But 
or at least to you, Seth. But it, it's a it's it's like two hundred dollar motherboard for nothing, basically. Uh, the only thing he said though is if I get it running and I can actually f- serve videos out, he wants to be able to access my Plex mm. server, which technically I can do because it's part of my Plex license. Um, I don't know if I can do it technically legality wise, but um, it's interesting to see how it works. Uh, so it, if nothing else, give it a shot just to see because maybe your connections can handle it and maybe you can then, you know, you still have that a smartphone, don't you, yeah. Seth? And I mean, I got tons yeah. of tablets and laptops and stuff. So, yeah. So, you know, and if, if it works, you may be able, you could stream it to the tablets too if you wanted. Um, the apps there, you have to pay for the apps currently, but if you pay the lifetime membership to Plex at $75, uh, that's 75 US, but it's lifetime membership and you get the apps in for nothing. Cool. I'll have to, like I say, I mean, that would require work and effort. And, um, those are two things that are hard <laughs> for me to do, but I'll have to, uh, I'll, I will consider that because, you know, I mean, I have all these DVD players, but I just know since I got rid of my, uh, Xbox 360, if I want to watch a DVD, mm-hmm. I really either I go down to the main living room or I pull out my laptop. And so, you know, if I'm going to be firing mm-hmm. up a thing anyway, I mean, I might as well, you know, have the ability to just pick which one I want. I know it would take a lot of effort to rip all the movies to it that I have, but yeah, it could be interesting. But it, it's one of those things, um, depending on your, it, on your rig that you are going to be ripping them to, if you run it either Windows based or Linux based, um, if you run it Linux based and put a couple of DVD drives in it, you could just run handbrake. Yeah. And you can queue two movies at once to rip. And then when they're done, oh, flip them out, put new, two new, put two more in. Then you do them two at a time. You can queue up, you know, quite a big library with almost minimal effort. I could like, trust yeah, me, put one in, put some in before I went to work and put some in before I went to bed. And, you know, oh, yeah. Of- well, and depending on the processor crank, um, like my rig, the Core i5, um, I can do, um, two movies in like 35 oh, wow. minutes. So, and I don't know if, if that's just handbrake in general being that quick, uh, but comparison to my little Intel Duo laptop, uh, that takes almost right. native time. <laughs> so, there's a little bit of acceleration going on either with the GPU or the CPU, the fact that it has all those extra ones, but um, yeah, it's painful on the laptop, works great on the desktop. So Yeah, when I was Definitely something to Yeah, when play I was with. gonna I was gonna take a plane ride and I was like, okay, I don't wanna burn battery playing a DVD, so I'm gonna rip this thing and I was like, you know, and of course it's like midnight and I got like a five AM I have to leave the house. And so I was like yeah. I start I was like, Crap, this is gonna take just as long as it does to watch it. I don't have time to do this. <laughs> so uh Yeah, some of those laptops aren't aren't built to do that type of work. They're just they don't have the processing yeah. power. But if you got if you got a rig, you know, or even if it's a slow rig that you can have put three or you know, if you have three or five DVD drives laying right. around, load I'll them up. Have to, uh, you know, I'm, I have a couple of DVD drives. I don't know. I'll have to look at that. All right, let's uh, kind of look at the uh, listener feedback. Uh, Jay writes in, "Hello, Mark, Seth, and Chris. I love tuning into you three each week and listening to your take on life, Linux, and bacon." 
you know, as a side note, we yes. haven't had a bacon story in a while. I'll, I'll try to uh, try to rectify that in the near future here, Jay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I really enjoyed your show number 130, The State of the Linux Address. Lots of little feedback items. I'll try to keep them brief. Your discussion about what is Linux was really interesting. Comparing Android versus Linux made me question if you could say the same thing about Mac OS and FreeBSD. Like Android, macOS took the parts they wanted from FreeBSD and made changes where they thought was appropriate. Given that, would anyone say FreeBSD owns 20% of the personal computer market? I'd lean towards no in this case myself. Your thoughts on that subject would be an interesting comparison to the, an interesting comparison to the Android Linux discussion. Yeah, we'll have one. to, uh, I'll have to give that some thought. I know my off the cuff things, but I'll, I'll prepare something for that, Jay. Uh, back to his email, I felt your thoughts on Richard M. Stallman not liking the state of Linux was right on. We certainly have not reached his vision of what GNU slash Linux should be. However, I would argue we have achieved success with Linus Torvald's vision of Linux, to which Android would be a welcome party. Perhaps GNU slash Linux fails or falls to pragmatic Linux in the world of getting your job done. Interesting thought there, Jay. Uh, I would have to agree. That's kind of how we. That's kind of how how we landed the yeah. show anyway on the same thoughts. So yeah. that's Jay, cool. you're in good company, or we're all in trouble. One of the two. <laughs> uh, just a few other items, Chris. I had heard a lot about Plex in the past, but always had trouble setting it up. After listening to your experience, I finally got it running. Note to potential users: make sure your movie directory has group Plex read permissions. Uh, good note there. Oh, yeah. Plex looks. Yeah. I forgot to Plex say that. Looks like a great solution for a media server. After the install, I was so keen on exploring everything in it that I actually stayed up until two in the morning the night before I was supposed to give a big presentation at work, trying to play with all the options. My body thanks you for the sleep deprivation. <laughs> Get used to it when you start diving into it, and you want to start linking. Um, actors and actresses then into the system so you can search by actor yeah you'll lose even more <laughs> sleep sorry seth just in case chris left me any working brain cells after his recommendations playing galaxian on archive.org certainly took care of the balance so thanks to you as well well you know jay i aim to please anything i can do to destroy productivity will make me look better to the body of employers out there so uh <laughs> Lastly, Mark, your description of your ball chair made me laugh. When you mentioned bouncing around your desk, all I could think of was you should upgrade to the model with a handle and then take it down the hall to meetings. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And he links, uh, I'll see if we can get Mark to put this in the notes. He links to the Amazon.com link. So you can go to elementop.com slash Amazon and type in, uh, I guess, I don't know what you would type ball chair with the handle or exercise ball with the handle um <laughs> hippity hop a hippity hop ball that's what we always called it in growing uh, up i'll tell you what let me uh, i'm pulling it up right here the hop 55 22 inch hop ball so uh <laughs> you know we're we're uh jay i don't think this will work because we are big guys not just weight but uh actually very tall as well so if they if we find one with a bigger size <laughs> A bigger diameter, we might look at it. But <laughs> considering it says the recommended age is six to eight years old, uh, I don't think that'll work for any yeah, of us. 
Either that or we'd look very silly on it. But them. I do have to admit, thanks, the visual Jay. Of Mark <laughs> bouncing down. <laughs> it's hilarious. I just, I love the visual, Jay. Thank you so much. Um, and then he says, keep up the awesome show, guys, Jay. So, Jay, we will certainly uh, do our best in that regards. And thank you for that visual. I can just, I can picture Mark bouncing down the hall on exercise. Oh, yeah. That is great. Yeah, that's, that's a, yeah. (laughs) I want to try that work now. I think that'd be hilarious. Could you imagine looks I'd get at the school bouncing down to the hallways? Yeah, you know, and, you know, if it's, if it's for health, you know, maybe we could even talk the company into buying them for everyone, and we could just kind of have everybody <laughs> bouncing everywhere on the exercise ball. Uh, it sounds like something yeah. we got to try at least to at least to see if we can get it through HR. Yeah, if I don't have to pay for it, because you know I'm all about the cheap. Uh, definitely works <laughs> for me. Okay, well, uh, moving on into the news section. Like I mentioned, we have a lot of inf- we have a lot of news here. We, um, you know, we had a show kind of planned for last week and the sickness kind of took care of that. So, uh, we kept most of them, but, um, obviously we got rid of a, some of them, but then we added some more from the last week. So I want to kick it off with, and all of these links will be in the show notes. Uh, so, uh, you know, just head on over to elementop.com and we're on the main page there. Just, uh, you can find the links to any of these articles if you want to give them a more in-depth, uh, in-depth perusal uh what i wanted to start off with is uh the epa came out with their top 30 tech and telecom companies based on um the amount of electricity they use that comes from green power sources you know green might be things like biogas biomass hydropower solar power or wind power or even Mm. geothermal uh whatever the case may be and leading the uh leading the pack was Intel Corporation and they actually according to the EPA they use 100% um of their electrical use is through green power um well that's cool and all but what is IBM or what is Intel I mean on is that their manufacturing plants or is that their corporate well, plants well this is uh this is their american plants so so this would be their CEO and corporate people, not the not not the manufacturers. Well, and again, this is only for the places here in America. So you know they're not right. going and checking on wherever else, but ba- their places in America. Uh, and you know the amount of kilowatt hours used is very impressive. What is that? Uh, over three <laughs> billion, three is trillion, right? million hundred. Yeah, over three million. Kilowatt hours. So, you know, it's not like, wow. it's not like a closet with the light bulb is being powered by a small <laughs> solar array. They're actually doing a lot there. Um, yeah. Microsoft is number two, uh, at rating in at 80% of their total usage is yeah, green. And just, um, using a, a mix of biomass, small hydro, solar, and right. wind, which is cool. I and mean, that's kind of neat to, to see that, you know, some of these uh, these larger companies like this are trying to—they're uh, trying their luck with all these G, these green right. powers. Google was number three. Um, in terms of kilowatt hours, they had three quarters of a billion, so seven hundred thirty-seven million, uh, which is only thirty-two percent of their total electrical use. But they use biogas, solar, and wind. And number four was Apple, which um, 
they're number four in the amount used, but in terms of percent, well, actually, they would be lower than number four. So um, they use uh, 537 million. Uh, they actually have geothermal. So I guess that's kind of cool that they're that's using cool. and others as well. But yeah, I just wanted to mention some of those. And so, you know, in technology, we care about the planet too. And we're using green sources to fuel uh, your technological consumption. So when your devices are old, you can just throw them out in the garbage and feel like you're not being totally <laughs> destroying the planet. It's very interesting to see the, the mixes of, you know, a lot of these places are using right. wind. Um, I would have, I would have thought more places would have been trying to do solar. You know, a lot of these places are in, you know, the sun belts and warmer areas, you would think that they would be trying to use solar more than wind. But. Well, I mean, I think to produce energy on that, and probably, you know, I'm sure it's not that they have, um, you know, they don't have an, an environmental plant or, a, you know, an energy production station on there, but they're getting it from companies that use that. And so, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a lot easier, I think, to set up like a wind turbine farm than it is a big solar station because you don't have to use as much and you can get wind 24 hours a day or as solar, you know, if there's no sun or if it's really cloudy, um, you know, yeah, no power for you. But yeah. <laughs> well, let's, we, you know what we should do is just go down and, and figure out a way to take all the sand in the deserts and change them into solar panels. Cause the deserts, you know, or, or heat generation right. panels. Cause you know, you, you can do the same technology with heat that you do right. with solar. Well, the deserts, they think of the, the wide range of spectrum uh-huh. for temperature. So if you could harness the, the heat of the desert, you know, that would change the whole paradigm if that would generate enough le- enough electricity to, to counterbalance for, say, gasoline or something of that sort. So then we would um, want you know, global warming so there would be more heat to produce more energy. Is that what you're saying, Chris? Well, yeah, that'd be part of it, I guess. But by generating it all from heat, the changing the, the that thermal dynamic, we would be lessening our demand on greenhouse right. gases. So... It would be kind of, we'd be ending up staying par and not ruining the environment more. We'd stay at level. <laughs> well, yeah. So I don't know, but where's the fun in that? Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess if you want to, to run your giant greenhouse gu- guzzler, then go ahead. Yeah. Although I, I drive a <laughs> Nissan Cube. So, um, you know, big old me and my little Nissan Cube. So I, I kind of care about the environment. Um, gas is just too expensive for me to drive a big truck back and forth to work. Oh. I'm with you. Yeah, well, uh, moving on, it seems that North Korea has an operating system that is based on Linux, but looks an awful lot like Apple's Mac OS. And I believe they're calling it Red Star OS. Um, and apparently, you know, for the three or four people in North Korea who have access to the Internet and actual computer, they have, <laughs> um, you know, they can run the official OS, which it seems like it seems to be pretty cool. Just, you know, the screenshots of it, it looks pretty neat and it does look a whole lot like Apple. So I don't know if somebody just know how to uh knew how to maybe hack Apple or if Kim Jong-un is such a big Apple fan, he's like, you will make it look like Apple or I'll kill you and get someone else who will. <laughs> so, Well, that also brings me up to the point that I was going to, when I saw this coming up on our news article, 
because it looks so much. Did you ever take a look at Pear OS, Seth? You know, I I looked at it a little bit, and I know you're going with this. Pear OS is not to be found anymore. Yeah, Pear OS is dead. They and it's been gone. You know, there's not a very uh, public reason for it disappearing. There's a lot of speculation saying that Apple right. killed it. Um, but what if what if it was the the North Koreans? They just said, "No, we're going to take this." What? And, and now you know, it's dead. Enlighten. Did you ever look at Enlighten? <laughs> I haven't tried it yet. No, I know that I know it's out there. Um, and I haven't, but I have not played with it yet. I I never can get it to compile. It has been <laughs> a um, it's been well over a year since I I looked at it, and it looked an awful lot like OS X. So you know, it could be kind of based on Enlighten as well. So you know, it's kind of cool that North Korea has their own OS. You know, um. And but they're not the first ones to have an a Mac OS clonish look about them. Yeah, it's just it's very interesting to see how much or it, it's I guess regather my thoughts here for a second. It's interesting how the North Koreans were so bullish on Microsoft though that they they basically jump ship and go over to a Mac uh-huh. style. Instead of, you know, why not just spin up a copy that looks like Windows? Why go, why, why go Mac? I guess that, that's the only question I bring up is, why well, go Well, you Mac? know, like, uh, it's known that, uh, Kim Jong-un is a, uh, that he is a big Apple fanboy. So, you know, mm. if, if you're the leader of the country and your country has at least, whether at least unconfirmed reports that you know, you die if you don't do what the leader likes. Well, you're going to do what the leader likes. So, yeah, I suppose I, I kind of like, you know, breathing. So yeah. I would too. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> if you want it to look like that, we can certainly do it. Yes, sir. It, it, it'll take two weeks or whatever. <laughs> um, because we, we, we want it to be perfect for you is I guess how you would have to phrase yeah. that. You're so awesome. It's just a very interesting right. thing. It's a very interesting thing to see. I wonder if it's ever going to dis- show up outside of the borders. Yeah. You know, I mean, I wonder if it's available. And here's the thing. Would you want to install it on yours? Because maybe they put some type of back door in it. So. Um, yep. It's interesting. It's definitely an interesting thing. So watch out, everyone, for Red Star Linux. Yeah, which is it's kind of <laughs> weird because China tried – um you know, they, a few years ago, they were all gung ho on, you know, we're not secure because we're using Windows and stuff made by America. So we're going to develop, and they called it, uh, red flag, which, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, but the thing is, red flag, they apparently decided to lower that flag because even though it was the state sponsored OS and they have lots of money to spend on stuff like that, people would rather have, they would rather go out and pay money for a legal license copy of Windows than to run the homegrown or, OS. So, or to steal a copy. Yeah, of well, Windows no, I'm too. saying, you know, uh, China has um, they've made a big investment on cracking down on piracy, and I'm sure uh, it's rampant there, just like I'm sure it's rampant in America as well. But they are not as bad as they were. I think most everybody would yeah. at least give them that that they are they're less a haven for piracy than they used to be. So uh I haven't been to China. I can't verify those reports, but everybody 
They'll just go to yeah. Singapore. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Everybody who you think would be in the know says they've done a better job. Yeah. Well, good for them. But yeah, so now it's up to, you know, and of course we talked, uh, it's been almost a year ago that Ubuntu announced that they're working with China to develop, um, a Chinese flavored Linux distribution. And I haven't heard anything about that since that development, but maybe, uh, maybe we'll hear more about that now that they are kind of officially, um, you know, I guess, uh, pulled down. Or- Branding it, the the red flag. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, So, what's this about Microsoft accidentally tinkering with firewall? Well, um, you know, China has this big thing that if you're going to be in our country, you're going to do business our way, and so you know, Google uh, and Microsoft runs Bing, Yahoo, any search engine that operates in China has to agree to abide by the settings of the Chinese government to censor things. And apparently um, Microsoft cited an error in their system that if you searched uh, in Chinese on the Bing search engine outside of mainland China, you were getting the exact same results that you would find inside mainland China. So somehow huh. something happened where their settings um, mirrored. I'm sure somebody copied, you know, and I, I can totally understand this happening. You know, there's been some setting to tweak. Um, you know, if you're going to do something in Chinese, uh, on your website, you would want to test that where it's going to get a lot of use in some place such as China. So they copied some configuration settings from their Chinese page to their U.S. page in Chinese section and they forgot to edit out the copy that applies this set of filters. I can totally buy that happening, but yeah. And yeah, I could too, you know, and apparently, you know, they made some chains. Um, they made changes and apparently it's back to normal, but it was, uh, but that, that's what happened. So for a while you were subject to the great firewall of China. If you attempted to search being outside of China in Chinese. So that's and I could, you know, like we were just saying, I could definitely see that happening because most techs are lazy, and if they can copy and paste, right. they copy and paste. Well, and, and, you know, and you weren't <laughs> even thinking about the fact that there, you know, it, it it wasn't some, you know, I do this all the time. I make the change and then go, oh, crap, like this happened to me at work last week. Um, we have a server that we kind of use for our administrative tools, and I installed another program on there. Well, after I did that, one of my other internal websites didn't work, and you know, in my mind, it was because the binding on it was wrong. But what I forgot was I updated ASP and all of a sudden my oh. other site broke because yeah. it was looking for a certain version of ASP. So I had to go and change those settings. And, you know, and I mean, it wasn't that I was out to maliciously destroy our company's uh, intranet. I just was lazy. <laughs> so it was yeah. an oopsie. It was an oopsie. Everyone has oopsies. 
But, you know, I mean, I don't mind it when people make fun of me and my oopsies because I'm certainly going to make fun of them, um, you know, and just point <laughs> out, ha ha, Microsoft, you messed up, ha ha. Uh, but again, you know, it's just more in jest. I don't think there's any, you know, the, the, the tinfoil hat guys, and this is why I'm a tinfoil visor, would talk about, you know, how it's Microsoft in with China and they're, you know, some type of conspiracy there. And I, I think the only conspiracy is it was 459 when the guy did this and he wanted to get on this hot date with his girlfriend that started in like two minutes so he just made the change and left <laughs> you know that that's that's the only conspiracy i think that happens yeah i you know and that's kind of you know everyone has an oopsies but could you imagine if a whole state yeah. had an oopsie uh yeah funny that you should be. mention that california is they're trying to take up a bill that will force anybody who sells a smartphone any smartphone sold in California would have to come with a kill switch. Um, it's one of those, I think this is a knee jerk reaction because smart, smartphone theft is such a big deal. But man, I don't want to have a kill switch in mine. I would neither. Especially, well, and technically any of the Androids, you have one built right. in if anyway. If you choose to add one, you know, that, that's your deal. But to have one forced on you that because I, I can see a total oops moment, some AT&T guy, you know, makes some, you know, does some system update and doesn't check this one setting. And so everybody's phones get wiped and they've lost all their pictures that they haven't uploaded and all that kind of stuff. And it would just be a headache. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's one of those things. I like the fact that they're thinking about security and. But I just think int- mandating a kill switch is bad because if it's mandated that it's going to be there, it's going to be implemented very crappily. And the next thing you know, the kill switch will be hijacked. And it's like your phone will be wiped in five minutes unless, you know, you unless you send, you know, PayPal to this address or something. Uh, right. And and that's what I, I would see, too. Because anytime you have, and it's nothing against the state government, honestly, or the federal government, but anytime you mandate a a kill switch or a copy switch or anything like that into a system, it's a glaring right. target. You know, if and if especially um, if anyone has ever watched the movie Take or Track Down, the the Kevin Mitnick story from a long time ago. If you haven't seen it, go find it. It's worth it um, just to see. What happens when, um, it's not a hundred percent true, but the thought process works because they, at the very beginning of the movie, the system is brought up and then the main character who's play, uh, who's playing Kevin Mitnick, he goes out and actually finds it and then gets access within, I, it doesn't say how long or nothing else, but it's the whole social engineering doing all this stuff just because somebody mentioned that this thing exists. So it's a good movie just for that fact. And the fact that, you know, if it exists, there will be a way to get to it and criminals will find it. Yeah, And you know, I just, one of two things would happen. Either people would quit selling phones in California or, (laughs) you know, which I mean, why would you want to buy this phone in California when you can, you know, drive across the border to Oregon or Arizona and armor, not Arizona. Well, yeah, 
uh, or Nevada, you yeah. know, and just pick up a phone from there, um, you know, or have your cousin out of state buy one and ship it to you. I just, I don't yep. think it's, I just think it's a bad idea because, you know, I don't know. I just think it's a bad idea. I don't like the fact, again, this is one of those things. If somebody wants to have, you know, if somebody wants to have a kill switch in their phone where they can remote wipe it and that's their choice and they install it, hey, good, good for them. I'm all about choice. I am, I am against the mandate. You know, you will yeah. like our kill switch because that's <laughs> what we say. So. And, and like I said a minute ago, there is a kill switch in all the Android devices already. All you have to do is log into your Google account and say, wipe it and it, you really? can wipe it. Um, yeah, it, it's part of your Google oh. account settings. So, it, but you have to have, obviously, you have to have access to your account. You have to know your password and then you can get in. And so if it is stolen, you can just remotely wipe it anyway. But you can't access the, the wipe features from the phone. You have to be on a computer or a browser and log into your account settings. Um, I, I found that by accident digging around through my control panel and I tested it and sure enough, it works. So yeah, I would almost bet that almost all the smartphones, if they don't have user access to kill switches already, um, they're probably on their way. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know Apple does because remember that big story about the guy who got his yeah, stuff Matt hacked? Honan. Yeah, because, yeah, that's his name. Um, the same thing happened to him. They remote wiped his, his stuff. So this is almost a pointless bill. If you really think well, about it. Well, I mean, it. it's coming from California. So what, what would you expect, Chris, beside a pointless bill? <laughs> Sorry. I had, to, okay. I had to take my dig. Um, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll send yeah, email. I uh, lobbed it <laughs> and he hit it. So, <laughs> well, you know, we talked about in the past where, uh, Linus was all up in the videos for their crappy, uh, support to Linux. Um, and you know, and very, uh, there was some not safe for family, uh, language in that. Well, he's kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, he's lowered the middle finger and he's raised his thumb, uh, for the, um, you know, NVIDIA to their credit that woke them up and they have been much more open in their support with Linux. And while I think their native Windows support or their native Windows settings are still faster than their native Linux settings. Um, they've come a long way in helping them. And, um, so with, with their Tegra K1 mobile processor, they have, um, they've contributed software that will help Linux take advantage of the graphics horsepower in there. And Linus Linus is, uh, he's very happy. He says, this time I'm raising a thumb for an NVIDIA. Um, he said on a Google Plus Hangout, and you know where he uh, instead of raising the middle finger from a June 2012 speech. So you know we we covered that story. Um, so I just wanted to cover this story too, and kind of say you know thanks Nvidia for coming around and supporting open source and Linux. Yeah, I think it's really cool, and I think it has a lot to bear on the fact of the right. Steam Box. I think a lot of that has to do with the pressure that Valve right. put on them. Um, and it, it sucks that we had to have Linus and Valve put pressure on NVIDIA to change their thought process. But, you know, hey, it's going to turn into benef- better, you know, graphics drivers right. for everyone. Um, especially when, 
you look at some of the stories about how Valve, the performance of the Valve games had such a huge jump in comparison to the same on Windows. Uh, it was, and I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I think it was the Windows drivers were giving 120 frames per second and the Linux install was giving like 300 frames wow. per second. It was a, it was a huge difference. Uh, so I think that's a lot to do with the power behind the Linux. And now that NVIDIA is helping, I think it's just going to get better. Hence the reason why as soon as I see a Steam box, I'm buying it. Well, cool. So let's see. Um, you know, this is an interesting story about one of the founders of, of Apple, uh, Saying that Apple should make an Android yeah, phone? Yeah, Steve Wozniak, you know, and, and he's famous because he actually uses an Android phone, um, as well. Uh, and then he, he came out and it's one of those things. It's, it makes a certain sense. He, uh, he had a, uh, interview with a Wired and they talked about a bunch of stuff. But one of the things is, uh, that got, everybody's attention was uh he recommended that his former company apple should release an android headset uh quoting him there's nothing that would keep apple out of the android market has a secondary phone market um you know we could compete very well people like the precious looks and stylings and manufacturing that we do in our product compared to other android offerings we could play in two arenas at the same time you know and, and think about it apple could very easily because you know, I mean, here's the thing: they make really nice looking hardware. You, you, you know, yeah. you can't. I, I think the days are gone when you would say, "Oh, the new iPhone is hands down better than anything out there." But you can't say, "Oh, it's an iPhone; it's garbage." Um, because when when they put out something, it's very good. Um, and you know, could imagine, you know, and a lot. I think there's a lot of Android users who would love to have an iPhone hardware running Android because. You know, I mean, honestly, they they make good hardware. Yeah, I think I I hate to say this, I really really yeah. do, but yeah, Apple makes really great hardware. Um, every machine I've ever sat in front of, the even the the touch of an Apple machine right. is nice. You know, the 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 way the the attention to detail, uh, and the only way you get something like that running Linux for you know is if you control it yourself and you build it yourself when you buy a dell or a i'm not going to put lenovo in that boat when you buy a dell or right. an hp it feels flimsy they feel light they feel right. breakable in most of the apples when you touch them they don't feel like you're going to they're going to crumble nope. in your hands but on the you know but that's that's the hardware um would i spend you know on the apple let's say what's the new power notebook thing uh, the new I don't remember what the name of it is, but anyway, the new laptop from Apple is like a two grand laptop. Am I going to spend two grand on an Apple laptop? No. Yeah. <laughs> the long and the short of it, no. Uh, unless, of course, I was a you know professional gamer or something like that. There's no reason to spend that much money on a laptop unless you have a very small reason to buy it. Right. Uh, but there again, if I want to spend money on good hardware. I'll go Lenovo personally. Well, yeah, Lenovo makes, they make some good hardware, you know, and before Sony just 
decided that they didn't want to support or sell anything ever again. I, I would have, there was a time where I recommended Sony hardware because it had that yep. look to it. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was the Vios. I, I remember that time too. The Sony Vios were on par with the build quality of Apple. And then Sony said, right. no, we're done. We're, we're not building any yeah. more stuff. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things. Apple, you know, the one reason they won't make it is because they would only make money on the phone. Um, you know, now yep. I don't know, would they release an iTunes app for Android? You know, it, that's one of those things. Then they Ooh. could make money selling stuff on the Android market, but then would they lose, you know, would people stop buying iPhones because you get everything else on an Android as well? Yeah, because it'd have to be in the Google Store to get the Google right. Juice. Well, and, you know, and you don't have to be hmm. in the Google Store. You know, you just Android, Google Play is not synonymous with Android. You know, uh, no, pe- people kind of think it, but it's not. It's not synonymous, so they wouldn't have to do that. Um, but yeah, I just I don't think they ever would because they would only make money selling the phone. There would be no residuals coming in on that on apps or music purchases you know they would have to have some type of monthly streaming service you know like access to itunes for ten dollars a month or or however much so that's why i don't think it would ever happen but it'd be interesting to see if that ever happened um maybe maybe down the road if if apple loses their mind a little bit and lets it through But I don't see I it happening. I would not. Just, you know, I don't like Apple from a philosophical standpoint. I just don't like the closed nature of, you know, this is really how you wanted it. You might have thought you wanted it some other way, but, you know, let me tell you what you need. So that's that's why I don't like them. Um, because yep. I, even though I don't do a lot of under the hoods tinkering, I like to have the ability to tinker under the hood. <laughs> So tinkering in their hood, uh, I, I can't, I, I can't move on to the next one on that one. Um, but I, I'll just bring up the whole Facebook releases some open source to make Android apps better. Yeah. Um, there's a project they have. It's called Conceal and it kind of, um, and again, I don't really know because I'm not a developer, but it, it kind of bakes security and crypto into your app because, you know, one of the bad things, about the Android marketplace is it's a lot wider open. I mean, it's also one of the strengths, but from a security standpoint, one of the weakest weaknesses of the Android market is how easy it is to get something put up there. You know, it's not really vetted to the level by Google in the way that I, the iTunes market or the iTunes app store is by Android or by Apple. And so you know, Google or Facebook has released this app to kind of help you write a secure app that would be harder to, um, you know, it, it would just be harder to crack and break open, uh, from a, uh, a, nef- a nefarious point of view. Yeah. It's a neat, it's a neat project. Uh, it, I'm kind of curious. I, I don't know a lot about programming, but it's from what it, re- what I'm reading in the article, it's a very interesting, way of doing it it sounds like they're they're trying to leverage a little bit of of writing things to the sd cards in in a more of a sequential way of 
to make them faster instead of trying to do it um, just on on the right cycles. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm thinking. I'm trying to find a better way of wording it, but I'm, I'm fumbling here. It's a very interesting article about the how encryption works on your phone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, and you know, and I think it's kind of cool. Um, you know, I don't, I don't like how much, um, how much Facebook is, uh, intruded into everyday life, but I kind of, you know, I like the fact that they're giving back to the community at large. Yeah. Well, they do give yeah. back a lot of stuff, like with PHP and and, stu- and stuff they're using. So it's nice to see them think privacy right. a little bit. Instead of public, yeah. So yeah, uh, you know, again, you know, I, I I like to rag on them. So uh, just you know, they're that's it's fun to it's easy. That's that it's very easy to rag <laughs> on Facebook. But I wanted to give them kudos here because I like to at least be semi balanced. I don't think I'll ever be fair. No, but yeah, be semi balanced. yeah Let's well and kind of staying in that whole android market um google is they are you know one of the it's kind of more of a weakness is how many different versions of android they're out there you know all the way back from 16 i think frodo was the first one that was kind of really usable all the way up to current 43 or 44 all of those are out there, um, and they're all in use, and you can chip a phone with any of them. Well, Google is kind of released a memo where their mobile service certification will no longer be available to any device by a, submitted by an operator running anything less than 4.2. So, and basically, um, it happens, um, Nine months after the next Android platform release is publicly available, they will revoke the certification for the previous version shipping. So, you know, either, you know, the hope is that there will, people will update what's out there rather than just, you know, say, oh, we'll go buy a new one. So I think it's a good thing that it kind of will you know one of the attack vectors from apple is look we have one version of ios so we're a lot more secure and stable than google and you've got like fourteen thousand versions of android out there so google is coming up and saying um no really if you want to be certified we only have like two well and that's good for them that 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 keeps their their market condensed a little bit because otherwise they're going to be in the same boat that windows was in the fact that they were supporting such a large group of of software, um, even though they are base similar, I would want to spend the man hours maintaining those versions from way back when till yep. now. That's just that that's just a, a lost cause. So it's it's good to see that they're seeing that ahead of time, and I wish that this the window was a little wider. Because that's a pretty narrow window, nine months, and then you ha- it's it's a killed development. Well, tree. nine months after the next version releases. So and right. So basically, they try to do two releases a year. So you're talking, you know, eighteen. You, you're talking a year and a half, which most yeah. people. That's probably about how long they keep their phones. Um, it is well in average. I would say in average, that's an that's a good number. But I, I think a lot of people, especially people that are the lower income market, 
they're going to lose people there and they're going to go, you know, to something, uh, you know, more of a feature phone or they're going to get stuck in La La Land where they can't get because the app developers are going to move up with the new versions. And so apps are going to stop working and then then people are going to get a bad taste in their mouth because, hey, look, this phone I bought now doesn't, I can't do anything on it because it's too old, but I'm too poor. Well, I don't want to say too poor. My money's stretched too thin to purchase another phone. But that's also being taken care of, I guess, now, I th- now I'm thinking about it and saying it out loud. It's kind of a mute point because, like, AT&T has the automatic right. upgrade that's built in. You know, you could just upgrade to a new phone anyway every two years. So, but you know, all right, now, now no, I feel no, stupid. It also kind of, you know, it doesn't really say if they will decertify the phones that are out there or just not certify new models. You know, if they're just saying... Hey, nine months after version 4.3 is released, you can't release a new phone on version 4.2. You know, I don't think it means that, you know, and you know, well, it, it will do two things. Number one, it will make people, it will make them provide an update. You know, here's the thing. Everybody wants to differentiate themselves. So they add, you know, wallpaper and themes and junk like that to make their Android yeah. seem different. And if this kind of keeps them from skinning Android and if they just makes them go with more stock Android, well, Google releases an update. So, you know, if there's nothing on that phone preventing you from receiving the update, then you, you can get the update. Okay. So it, Hopefully that's another way it can help the fragmented market is if some of, if some of the players out there will quit so heavily skinning their version of Android and just go with the more stock version. All right. Yeah, well, when you go that route, when you go down that path, I would, I would agree. It's yeah. a good idea. And we'll uh, have to see how it plays out because, you know, again, you know, what they say it's going to do. And, and this happens all the time in technology. What you intend for this release to do it ends up doing something else so we'll we'll have to check back in nine months and see how it's going well speaking of things that google is doing to uh people and things and to see how well it crashes or corrupts or breaks or whatever things um what's this about knowledge graph killing wikipedia yeah um you know google bought a startup a few years ago and i I don't remember the name of the startup it's in the article i just i can't find it but since about mid 2012 so going on a year and a half now um google if you do a search on google they pull up kind of like a knowledge graph kind of over on the left hand side that gives you some main uh you know main facts and overview thing about it and one thing that like um wikipedia has noticed is that since that happened um wikipedia's hits have went down so you know google is hmm. rolling out this knowledge graph to um to kind of give people a service, but um, visits to Wikipedia, which had previously risen steadily year on year for a decade, toward the end of 2012, they quit rising, but they started to actually decline. According to Wikipedia's on stats, page view for the English language fell by 21% over the year ending in December 2013. And in other um, in other languages, it was even more. Um, so it's just one of those things. Um, you know, it's Google is providing this service, but are they killing 
Wikipedia. And I'm sure not just Wikipedia, but that's what this article is about. Um, and, and it's a thought, you know, hmm. if Google is providing all this service, then they're not really a search engine. They're a content provider and they're making it harder. They're using their monopoly. Um, you know, they're using their monopoly to stifle competition is kind of what this article is. It's the case this article is making. So, you know, um, yeah. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, Google used to be a huge champion of net neutrality, but now that they have one of the world's largest private networks, um, they're not so big on net neutrality anymore. Um, yeah. It, well, it's, it's just like anything else. Anytime somebody grows, they, they start cutting people off. And I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it's a very interesting thing when you, I mean, Google was, er, is the first stop for anybody who's searching yeah. for anything. So it, I mean, before, you know, there was a time when I would be out looking for, uh, you know, factoids of, of releases or information on, you know, what string is G on a guitar. I wouldn't even Google search that. I would just go to Wikipedia. Right. Well, now Google's gotten to the point where I can just do what is the G string on a guitar and bing, there it is. It just shows it right yeah, there. If I want to know what the weather is, um, where I live, I just type in yep. my location space weather, weather on Google. And so I don't need to go to weather.com. So, you know, they might be pulling that data from weather.com, but weather.com's losing the advertising revenue because I don't visit their site anymore. Um, you know, I just go to yep. Google and, oh, okay, it's going to be 75 degrees tomorrow and a 20% chance of rain. Well, that's all I need to know. I don't, you know, if I want to read something about weather, then I might go to weather.com. But, um, and so, you know, it's one of those things. Hey, they're a content provider, but, you know, um, I don't know. It's just, it's the nature of things, you know, and the internet's only like really 20 years old. If you think, I mean, I know it's been around for a while, but, open to the masses where people have really been using it, you know, you're looking at 20, not even 20 years. Um, I guess right yeah. about, right about 20 years. So it's, we're still figuring out how to do things and, you know, so, um, society is catching up with technology and then technology continues to innovate. Well, I don't think it's anything that's going to change anytime right. soon. Uh, I think Google's going to take over the world. And they will be the cyber you know, overlords. It's going to be, you know, there's going to be the, there's going to be Google city and then there'll be Apple town. It, it, it's, you know, we had that conversation. I think I was right. You know, you've got your, there's Bing land, Google city and Apple town. And the two or three people who actually know arch and crunch bang are the ones who roam the desert wastelands looking for, <laughs> looking for straight data bits. Uh, well, I will, uh, I'm not sure where I would fit, but I think, I would probably have one foot in Google right. Town for sure. I, I, I would avoid Apple and like the plague. So, no kidding. Bing Town. I mean, come on. Who uses Bing Town? Ah, I just lost my Google Hangout. Oh, Chris, are you there? What happened? I got back in. I got back in. Yay. Yay. Wow. I don't know what happened there. Um, what happened? That was, uh, that was a, a Google Hangout crash. Really? Yeah. It just booted me right out. Wow. So, uh, well, I guess maybe, uh, we're onto something with that whole Google town. They don't want that getting out. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Well, uh, moving on to the next story. Um, the FCC, uh, net neutrality blueprint was thrashed by U.S. appeals court. 
and I don't know why they did this, but they basically, I don't even understand the article. Do you understand this article, Chris? Because I read it and I was like, what? I don't get it. Yeah, I didn't either. It was it was really hard to read. Um, but it sounds like yeah, I don't even know how to even re- take this. It it seems like maybe that you know the 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 whole net neutrality thing that was supposedly set up and was going to work, the FCC just shred, just shredded it and say no no try again and send it back to the drawing board. Um, I don't know. I I think it's. I thought this was something that was already set in stone and we were going to be filtered all the time. And now it sounds like the FCC is trying to at least tailor the, the net neutrality so it isn't so crippling. Well, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, it's weird. The U.S., um, the court basically said, um, the FCC kind of has authority, but you're not supposed to use it. Um, you can proclaim net neutrality, but you really can't enforce it. Um, or you can only enforce it on certain media, but because you classify these other people as not media, um, you're wrong. Start over. I, I, I don't understand. The, I have reached out to several different places, um, like the, um, uh, EFF and places like that to, I really want to get an attorney on the show who specializes in like intellectual property, net neutrality kind of stuff and just get them to kind of explain it in plain English. Cause I, I, I don't understand this bill or I don't understand this, this court ruling. I think this is another case where uncommon sense is strangely absent from court proceedings in America relating to technology. Yeah. yeah well, I hope maybe the EFF will, will answer you. I, I would really like to have them on the, on the show. I think it'd be a really good yeah, one. Yeah. I need to come up with a good, with a positive way to spin everyday Linux podcast to get people to, to get more people to, uh, say yes when I approach them. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> uh, let's see here. You know, we, we've talked a lot about Steambox and, uh, Linux gaming stats. And Chris, I know you're a big Steam user. So I just wanted to throw some numbers out there, um, just to kind of give you a state. And again, this isn't so much a state, but this is kind of like a snapshot of, um, of how Linux is in the gaming market. So, um, this is from Steam. So, uh, their game Harvest Massive Encounter for the last 12 months is a 77% Windows, 5.5% Mac, and 17.5% Linux. Um, you know, which, hey, that's pretty cool. 18% of that. Um, game, um, Cairo, K-A-I-R-O, Cario, uh, 75% Windows, 16% Mac, and 8% Linux. A door kicker, almost 90% Windows, under 3% Linux. And, um, you know, revenue from Steam since the beginning of 2013, uh, just under 5% Mac, just over 4% Linux. So, um, you know, I kind of hope this, I kind of hope the Linux stuff takes off a little bit more so they will keep, um, pushing it, pushing, Linux forward in gaming. So, um, well, I think it will be. I mean, Linux has only been technically main stage on the Steam network for only a couple of months now. Right. Um, so I think 
if these numbers are only a snapshot for the first couple of months right. that you know that they've been on, um, that's actually really good. The the but the better question will be is once Steam the Steam boxes start showing up because they should show up as Linux, so that might change these numbers immensely. Yeah. Uh, well, and like the other thing that oh, I'm the other thing that I I, I was going to say really quick about the Steam um, the Linux install for Steam. We've we've brought it up before, saying that you know a lot of the Linux guys are emulating Steam and Wine because they want to play a game, right? Um, so that's going to skew these numbers pretty greatly too. I know for me, the there was a game I backed in Kickstarter that was uh, it was a cyberpunk based game, and they just they released they they were slated to release a Linux version, and then it took them for a little bit, but then they finally did. So. It's coming. I mean, it's going to be one of those things. It's it's a slow. It's going to be a slow burn because otherwise, if it's a fast burn, I think we're going to end up burning the the, the market out. Right. Yeah. There's so. this one game, Maya M A I A. Um, it's for the past year, ninety seven and a half percent Windows, one point four percent Linux, one point one percent Mac. And uh, they comment on that. The Windows figure is overinflated since many people redeeming Kickstarter keys were forced to use Windows for several weeks after Steam launch. Looking at the player figures or sales this month, the actual number is roughly 8% uh, Linux and 5% Mac. So, you know, it's one of those. I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying is the more recently the numbers are still coming up, but even still coming up, they're dominatingly uh, Windows, and that doesn't surprise me. In like because a lot of the games are DirectX driven, and because of DirectX, it's not going to run on Linux. So once they start moving to OpenGL, like we see with some of the new other games from Valve, right? You know the Left 4 Dead's and things of that sort. The the ones that have native support for OpenGL. They seem to be the ones that are showing most the the most Linux growth over time, right? And and I think once people start coding that in the OpenGL market, we're going to see the the Linux numbers take a huge jump. Yeah, and actually, you know, talking about um, Linux and Steam, uh, you know, Valve has been basically giving away their games to Debian developers, and now they're even starting <laughs> to do it for Ubuntu developers as well. It turns out that a lot of people are trying to fake the fact that they're Debian developers <laughs> in order to get keys and codes uh, for Valve games on Steam. Um, you know, Michael over at Pharonix, he has an article uh, and he, he talks a lot about this. And I just thought it was kind of funny that, hey, look, they're giving away free games to these people. Oh, hey, I'm one of those people. I get free games, too. And uh, talking about <laughs> people trying to... Um, you know, people trying to even fake the email address and all that kind of stuff. It, it was just, it was just funny, and I thought it would be, I thought it would be neat to mention. Yeah, and well, and that doesn't surprise me at all because people are, you know, anytime you can try to game the system, people are going to try. Right. Um. So it, it just, it just goes to show that if you offer something, people are going to jump and try. Right. So, good. Yeah, I, I'm glad to hear that they're chopping the the fakers out, but dang, that's. Attempting Apple to try the bite, to take a bite of. Right, it sure is. Yeah, you know, and, and some people just don't want to pay and they'll put tons of effort into getting something for free. Whereas if you just would have put half that effort into a job, 
you would have twice as much money now as you do. Um, but yeah. anyway, that's my take on welfare. <laughs> um, okay. Um, moving right along, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about how Ubuntu kind of is in a lot of ways, they're raising some ire in the Linux community of going it there on. But, um, Debian has recently, um, decided to use, um, system, yeah, D. system D in there. And then there was a whole big thing in the community and, you know, and then there was a vote and, and system D is what was chosen. Well, Mark Shuttleworth has said, Hey, you know, we're, we're Debian based. So we're going to go with it too. So he, you know, they're, they're playing nice with the Linux community here at, at the very least in this instance. And they're not, you know, they're not rocking the Debian boat. They're, um, you know, they're abiding and, you know, he, he promises that their engineers are going to make it work um, in Ubuntu as well because they're, you know, they're a derivative of Debian. So I thought it was, yeah. you know. And that's good because that means, well, that's just more eyes on System D to make it more and more stable because right. right now, you know, System D is pretty good, but it still has its hiccups. So the more developers that can point at it and go, hey, wait a minute, that code's wrong. Let's, you know, send it out so everyone has the fix, the better. Right. Uh, it, it's It'll be interesting to see how, System D and Mer and everything all kind of conglomerate together because that's all, all that's got to work for their, you know, when, when Mark pushes out or when Shuttleworth decides to say, okay, we're ready to go full on Mer and leave and not go Wayland. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Hopefully they can figure it all out and they don't have any issues. But since now, I think almost most of the Linux distributions are running System D now. Um, it, it's, it's a better system. I wish a lot of the, uh, uh, a lot more of the different places that are relying on old technologies would move up and let us system deers now access it. Well, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, with Ubuntu kind of throwing their weight behind it, hopefully that will happen. You know, it'll give it, you know, if Debian is going system D and Ubuntu is going system D, well, then maybe they can kind of help pull more people into it. Um, you know, because Ubuntu is one of the largest, if not the largest, um, Linux distro out there in terms of popularity. If they're going to it, you know, you know, well, hey, you know, maybe it's stable enough that some you know some of the old gray beards will say okay i guess i'll 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 try it once uh you know so uh you know and speaking of uh linux professionals in 2013 technology professionals average salary jumped just under three percent um but if you were a linux professional you uh on average enjoyed a full five percent increase not so you were already making more Linux professionals already made more than the average tech professional. And now they got a larger percentage raise because so much is Linux under the hood, the big iron, you know, data center type environments, cloud storage, Amazon, all that it's running Linux under the hood. So if you know Linux, you can get a good job. And this is just more proof, you know, uh, not only is the average salary higher, the uh, average raise is higher as well. So uh, this uh, an article on Linux.com where you would expect to find, you know, good stuff about Linux. But it seems to be uh, and this is from the results of a Dice technology salary survey. So. Cool. You know, and that that, that kind of 
you know, it, it kind of makes a lot of sense considering the saturation level of Windows professionals. Um, you can pretty much any any of the larger cities you could throw a baseball and probably hit a Windows professional. So the Linux professionals are a little more rare. So when they're because of said rarity, they get a little bit better paychecks. Right. So it never hurts to learn something new. And if we were still sponsored this week, I would say we could go right into an awesome advertise, but we're not. So let's continue. Yeah. Um, so moving right along, I'm going to mention this week in technology history. And since February 14th, Valentine's Day here in America was this week, I figured I would come up with something related to them. A chat room wedding with CompuServe CB simulator. Um, Two people, hmm. Debbie and George, met in October of 1982 when Debbie was uh, in Phoenix, asked a CompuServe open channel users for help retrieving a file on a remote computer. Mike answered from Grand Prairie and proved to be her knight in shining armor, and the two began chatting using the CB simulator, which was kind of the first online chat service. Um and I just, the wedding was held in Grand Prairie. Debbie and Mike stood at one terminal and the Reverend at his own terminal across the room. 66 guests tuned in across the United States, including Debbie's parents from their home in Phoenix and her sister hmm. from a radio shack in Sacramento, California. When Debbie, <laughs> I mean, this is what happened. This is the cool stuff about technology. You know, this isn't a movie. This is real life. When Debbie typed, I do the screen flashed kiss and an explosion of parentheses representing rice filled the chat rooms. Uh, Debbie's mother concluded the ceremony by typing sniff. <laughs> that happened this week in technology history. Um, 90, 31 years ago. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, it's awesome and very techy and very geeky, but that's still awesome. Yeah, you know, it would kind of be, you know, like you could have, you could, I don't know, it would be kind of cool, I guess, to get married in a Google Hangout. Um, uh, I guess. I don't know. Well, you know, you know, say you wanted, you know, you wanted your friend to perform the wedding, but the friend was halfway across the country caught in a snowstorm and wasn't able to travel. Well, you know, you could do a Google Hangout and he could still or she, they could still officiate the ceremony from across the country. I don't see why that would be. I Actually, I don't know if that would be legal or not. I I would have to check the legality of that. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be very legal, but it'd still be very cool. Well, I don't know. It depends. You know, like I, I'm a licensed minister and I have performed a few weddings uh, here in Texas. Um, my, I did not know yeah, that. My cousin was getting married up in Oklahoma and wanted me to perform the ceremony. So I found out that all I had to do was I had to drive to a county courthouse in Oklahoma and register. And so, you know, I have written down what county and then, you know, I have my registration information. So if I ever do a wedding in Oklahoma, it, it, it's valid there. So, you know, you would have to check and make sure. Um, that's crazy. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to remember that if I ever get asked. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So getting to the topic that we'll probably spend, what, five minutes on? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there's. Well, let's not hope. Yeah, go ahead. Let's hope it's a. I was gonna say let's hope it's a little bit longer than five minutes, but yeah, not much. Yeah. Um, I gotta pull up the article here. Hold on. Uh, it's again, it's from ZDNet. Uh, David. Ah, 
Come on, computer load. You've been doing so good all day. Gewurz? Yeah. Gewurz it or something? G-E-W-I-R-T-Z. Get, go, yeah, I, I don't know. G-Words? G-Words. Maybe? That sounds good. Um, he, uh, <laughs> he, he wrote an article. Um, again, I don't know if wrote or just produced a puff piece that Microsoft paid him to produce. Uh, it came or out. both. It came out in January of this year, so it's it's a few weeks old. But um, the title of the article is Five Reasons I'd Rather Run Windows 8 Than Linux. And um, so he goes on. And, again, if you want to read the article, again, it's this is Windows Marketing 101. Uh, reason, <laughs> reason number one, as soon as you mention one distro, all the fanboys go insane claiming you've made the wrong choice. So take it away, Chris. Why is that wrong? Well, it's not wrong, actually. That is a very valid reason that, you know, it's, I, sh- I shouldn't say it's a valid reason to run Windows. Right. It's just a reason. Uh, and it's not even a good reason. The, uh, everybody has their own personal f- choice, just like browsers or operating, si- or not operating systems, because that's the basis of the article. Um, uh, let's go browsers, uh, instant messenger clients, uh, email clients. The the list goes on. Everyone has a cult following. That there, no matter what you look at. I remember not so many years ago where people were saying, "Yeah, I'm running Windows, but I have Lightbox or was it Lightbox? Um, I I think that's what it is, or something like that, where they would replace the Windows shell. Oh yeah, and it would be a different shell. It would still be running Windows, but you'd be running this other shell. And then that was, you were still running Windows, but, you know, hey, my shell is better than your shell. Right. Because they were replacing, you know, Windows, the Explorer.exe with Lightbox or whatever it was called. Um, It's going to happen no matter what your environment is. There are going to be people that are fanboys. Look at Apple. Yeah. I mean, mean, yeah. That's a prime example right there. Look at Apple or when Alienware was a big thing. Oh, yeah, you have a Dell. Well, I have an Alienware. Right. Or whatever. So yeah. So there, there's fanboys everywhere. Yeah, and you know, and I mean, man, if you can't make a decision, you know, and I mean, granted, it will be hard. But here's the thing: the great thing about it is there are so many out there. If you don't like how this one works, hey, you can get a different one. Whereas if you don't like how Windows works, well, hey, you better figure it out because that's what came on your machine. Um, so, you know, again, is that a weakness because not everybody's doing the exact same thing? Well, look at how fast Linux matures and adapts and comes up with new things. You know, everybody's still running Windows XP that has been out for 12 years. You know, you know, yeah. I wouldn't want to try to look at a Linux uh, distro that was 12 years old. Um, <laughs> you know, that would be scary. So, um, <laughs> you know, yes, the, they're all, all these different ones are competing to be the best. There's a drive in there that forces them to innovate or be left behind. Whereas Windows, you know, when Windows realize, when Microsoft realized, Hey, you know, our browser is pretty crappy compared to Netscape. We can't, we can't sell it. They gave it away. It killed Netscape, you know, and so you were left with Internet Explorer. And so Microsoft said, ah, we won. We're not going to invest anything in updating the browser anymore ever until, um, you know, Netscape kind of revived itself and came out as Firefox. Um, 
And once there was choice, well, then all of a sudden Microsoft goes, oh, crap, we better develop our browser some more. Um, and, <laughs> you know, you should be thankful that there's a bunch of Linux fanboys pushing Windows and Apple to continue to innovate and make better products. So um, reason number two, he says, for all of us who have lives, there's Windows. Um, I don't. Yeah, that one doesn't quite make sense. Um I'm a hundred percent Linux, except for when I'm gaming, and that's and that would be for anybody who's a gamer anyway. If you're gaming and you're not a, a computer or a PC gamer, you're playing on a you know a Xbox or a PlayStation three or four or whatever. You're not playing in Windows anyway. So that one, the, the for everyone who has lives, there's Windows. That doesn't make any sense because well, well, his I, his basic thing on this is that. You know, some software doesn't run on some Linux distros. Um, and whereas this software is going to run on Windows, it's going to run on Windows. So, um, don't get hung up on the fact that Dropbox now works on some Linux thing. The point is Linux can just be plain annoying and so can its users. So his thing is you like this piece of software. It won't run on Linux. Therefore, you shouldn't use Linux. It doesn't matter if there's other software out there that does the exact same thing or if there's something out there that does it better. The fact is, it's not the software you know. Therefore, you shouldn't use it. I mean, if that's the case, yeah. we'd all be riding horses everywhere. There would be no cars. <laughs> you know, the only airplanes would be the first, you know, quadruple plane thing that the Wright brothers invented that couldn't fly the length of a football field. So, you know... Just grow up. Uh. <laughs> I would say, you know, I would also point out the fact that, you know, yeah, that your software may not work in Linux, but if you probably dig a little bit, you could probably find somebody who has found a way to get it to work. Right. And is probably willing to tell you how to get it to work. Um, for example, I will, I will counter his Dropbox and say, you know, copy.com. Right. It's a great storage. You know, they give you a ton of space. But they don't have a native Linux install. You have to run um, a shell script in order to install it. But and also anyway, even with Dropbox, you know, you can you can do box.com and use your browser. And so, ooh, yeah. it doesn't install. Well, okay, just use it through the browser. I mean, it works in Firefox. Firefox runs on Linux. I it'll work. You know, that's right. Well, and like I was saying, you know, Dropbox in general works great. So does Copy. Copy has not. Just so you know, Seth, Copy has a web browser based thing too right. where you could shoot the files through the browser um but you know there, there's a, a a wonderful post that someone has literally step by step type in this download this paste it here now it works right it takes you i mean i think if i were to time it and i had everything already in in front of me instead of having to search it every time i rebuild a machine i could probably install the copy.com program Maybe not as fast as a Windows double click next 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 install, but pretty darn close. Um, I think I I think when I just did the last rebuild, uh, when I, because I had the article in front of me, I think I got it done. I don't know. It took me probably three minutes to do all the things, and it was literally just copy paste, copy paste, edit, copy paste. Right, and it was done. And I was like, wow, that was simple. <laughs> There was no no funny things you had to learn or type in or nothing. You just it was simply copy and paste, and it was done. And it works great. 
Yeah, and that you know, reason number three of his is the aggressively nutball Linux community. And he has a YouTube video he links here that it's hilarious. The name of the article is Linux is free and full of love. Anyway, it's just I thought the article was funny. But anyway, his uh his reason here is that because there's nutballs in the Linux community, you shouldn't run Linux. Well, it's nice to know there's never been a nutball in the Windows community and that all Apple fanboys are perfectly logical, logical, reasonable, rational people. So again, I mean, it's just ridiculous. There's nutballs everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Go down, go downtown to your local bar and see all the nutballs that show up. There's nutballs everywhere, not just in the Linux community. Uh, yeah, and, not just in technology. And in, and in the Windows community. I know some crazy, completely Looney Tune people and they're Windows administrators. So should I not run Windows because of the nutballs that I know in the Windows community? Well, I was talking to an Apple engineer who worked for Apple while he was saying this and i asked you know apple was the first one that came out with kind of the backlit keyboard where if you looked at the if you type something you know the keyboard would light up for a second but if it, it was like three or five seconds of you not typing anything the keys would dim and it would just be looking at it in the dark and so i asked him what if i want to make those what if i want to make the them stay backlit longer and his response was don't you love the planet why why would you want to do that and waste energy I mean, you know, talk about a crazy fanboy nut job. I, I'm killing the planet because I want I want it to be ten seconds instead of five. You know. Um, anyway, I just there's nut balls everywhere, David. Um, I, matter of fact, one wrote this article. Uh, I was just gonna say, and yeah, I think I think the same. I think there's a nutball who's behind the keyboard on this article. Yeah. Anyway, let's continue on to reason four. Yeah. Linux doesn't run many serious production applications. Uh, there's no Photoshop, Illustrator, Lightrooms, After Effects, Premiere. He goes, sure, you can run GIP on Linux, yippee, but I'm talking real applications. Well, do what? Did you see GIP 1.0 10 years ago and stop? You can do. 90 what 95 percent of what you can do in photoshop on gimp um and there's lots of other applications sure those particular adobe applications don't run on linux but there are professional grade equivalents that can do all they can if not more that do run on linux so yes it's not adobe creative cloud but to say there are no professional applications I mean, nobody who spends five minutes searching for Linux programs would even believe this. Um, yeah, there's really, and he goes on to talk about, you know, there's also no LibreOffice and Microsoft Office don't match up. And then he throws a, he throws a softball out saying about Evernote. Well, Evernote is a very, I don't, have you ever used Evernote, Seth? I'm, I haven't installed, but I've never used it. I have, I've had no need um, to. I mean, I have Google yeah, Docs. What do I need Evernote yeah, for? Exactly. Evernote, you, you really, that's a softball, buddy. Sorry, but that's a softball. That's a horrible, horrible egg ridden softball that smells because Evernote isn't the best thing out there. Uh, Google Keep, for that matter, on my phone, 
works better on my tablet, works just as well as Evernote, if not better, because I can insert things immediately on it, and I don't have to wait for an upload. Yeah. Uh, I'll just sum up his last sentence here. Uh, the point is, if you need to get real work done using real desktop applications, Linux is simply not a wise choice. Dude, I mean, that's not even a... I mean, that's somebody stating something, um, taking their delusion and passing it off as fact. Yeah, it's. I will definitely agree that the fact that there is no Adobe software. Yeah. But if you're not a professional, you have no need for those softwares anyway. Right. The, the, I mean, yeah. Ooh, you're running the latest, greatest Adobe software. You spent $400 on it, and you are a hobbyist or a... Even a professional, or uh, not not a professional, but a, what what are those guys called that are hobby pros or pro hobbyists? Yeah. Um, you really, yeah, they're nice applications. There's a lot of things written for them, but you really, unless you're making money on it, why are you using tools that are made to be made money with? Well, and the thing um, is, you know, there are there are equivalent programs out there that aren't Adobe. Oh yeah, but they'll do what Adobe does, and a lot of cases they'll do a lot more than Adobe does. Yep. And hey, you know some of them cost money, but some of them are free. Um, yeah, the one I like to bring up is is I know uh, obviously in the show we we've I've talked about how I got tattoos and everything. Right. Um, I had a tattoo artist who does a lot of his work digitally instead of drawn, and so he does it digitally. But he ran into a problem where he was using Photoshop, but he wanted to scale it because the client said, oh, no, that's too small. I want it twice the size. Right. And so he tried to stretch it and scale it out, and then it pixelated, and he was all pissed because it was wrong. It it broke his art. And I pointed him at Inkscape. I go, try Inkscape. It's not as super golly gee whiz, oh, my God, look at all these tools. But all you're looking to do anyway is the baseline work because you print it out and then do all the shading on it by hand. Why not do something like that that can scale to any size and not have to worry about it pixelating because it's not Photoshop? And I talked to him just recently, and he said since he's been using Inkscape, he hasn't opened Photoshop in almost three months. So there's a a professional who was using Photoshop Spent the money on Photoshop and now doesn't even need to open it anymore because he doesn't use it. Because Inkscape did exactly what he needed better. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a point that you, it's a bad point. You're, you're making a bad reason and it's not even a good reason. Yeah. And that brings us to his last reason, number five. <laughs> Windows is just nicer. Um, I mean, look. That's ridiculous. I mean, hey, granted, if you have a touch interface running Windows, you know, I mean, hey, it it looks nice. It really does. And it's actually with 8.1 pretty usable. But the first thing I did to my stock Windows when I got it was I downloaded Classic Shell to make it usable. I mean, if you want to, yeah. if you want to talk about usability, Dude, even Windows 8.1 is only slightly above crap. So granted, there are some Linux distros out there that are sad because, you know, hey, I mean, they do a much better job creating an operating system than I do. So I won't, I won't give them too much grief, but there's some others that are very, 
very polished and look very nice and function very nice. So to say that Windows is just nicer, I mean, you know, again, you might as well say that chocolate ice cream is the best ice cream ever. Which it's not. <laughs> well, it is if you like chocolate. <laughs> so, but yeah, that that's that does a great point. Um, and honestly, I wonder if he's actually sat in front of Unity or GNOME three because, as far as beauty goes, those desktop environments not now they may not be my favorite environments, and they're not very functional environments in my personal use case. But they are some of the prettiest. As far as transactions and if you're switching between applications, they're fade yep. and they're, they're the little shadow thing when they disappear into the corner, they, they vacuum away. Some of those transitions, I've actually had Windows people say that they are leaving Windows because of the transitions. Vir- virtual to desktops out of the box. Um, and oh, yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to talk touch interface for an end user who only consumes content like the majority of people do, Unity and Ubuntu is hands down better than the the Metro style Windows 8 interface. Oh uh, yeah, I mean you know it, it's for for a touch tablet device, it's awesome. And if if you're if you're chatting, if you're posting on Facebook, watching YouTube videos, looking up stuff on Reddit, you know whatever, that's a much easier interface to use than than the Metro style from windows eight so you know to say that windows is just nicer is means that microsoft paid you more money than mark shuttleworth it is so <laughs> um but anyway there you go there's our take apart of david's article on five reasons he would rather run windows eight than linux so i got one more point though about that number five okay. just one, one, one last point in, in closing has he ever been on android I bet you. I wonder. I wonder what his phone is. Does he get a BlackBerry phone, <laughs> or is he running an Android device? Because technically, he thinks Windows is nicer. But what does he think of his Android phone or his iPhone, for that matter? Either one. Oh, but you know, hey, I will tell you. Just from just looking at it, I've seen. I've I'm not used a Windows mobile device, but I've I've seen people and they've given me their little. This is. I gotta tell you, it looks looks pretty slick. So. You know, you, you're, you're like, w- which is the better fruit? Cause I'm not talking about the app stores, but just actually using it. The <laughs> Windows mobile looks nice. So, and it moving between stuff worked well, um, on that yep. device I saw. So the, the funny thing is, is I've actually held a Windows phone and actually touched on it and had a guy show me the ins and outs. And the thing that he, pointed out to me that he really disliked about his Windows phone was the data consumption. Really? Because all those live tiles. Oh, yeah. He didn't real, you know, he was on, he put himself on a limited data plan because, well, he had a, an iPhone, I think he was on an iPhone to start with. Right. But he was on a, an iPhone and he, obviously, you know, iPhones don't eat up much data when you're out and about. Um, but his Windows phone made him go over he had overages on his data plan because of 
the live tiles. Well, yeah, I turned off like I have tiles, but um, on my Windows tablet, but they're not live because yeah, it'll update when I tell it to, or I'll I'll delete the crap. So <laughs> it's my phone. I'm not its I'm not its human, and uh, you know, right? At least at least with this round, you know, maybe maybe when they release the next version, I will have to bow to my, uh, you know android overlords but as of right now it's my device and it will do what i say when i say or it won't be my device yeah and actually now that i i found i was searching for this other tool i want to go back really quick and touch on the the professional tools mm-hmm. i wonder if he's ever seen lightworks for that video editing or blender um, considering or blender um, lightworks is the newest guy on the market that's a professional grade tool um, there's a, a handful of professional like big box movies that they've edited in Lightworks that is Windows, Linux, and Apple. Cool. But guess who's and it's it's Linux. Hmm. Yeah. Well there you so go. So on 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 to our um tips of the weeks, considering uh we're all by ourselves, so we, we kinda rambled on a little bit. But yeah. uh number one, Seth, should we do yours first? No, I'll I'll let you my, go. Okay, you're going to let me go first? Awesome. So, yeah. since we didn't have much bacon in this episode, or any of the last ones, I brought the bacon. I have a recipe for bacon tater tots. And if you've never heard of bacon sweet. tater tots, you need to go look up bake, sweet bacon tater tots over at Mom Spark. It is probably the most delectable and yummy, and oh my god, I want to eat the whole plate that they have in the Dude. picture. <laughs> they look so good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I brought the bacon. And it's not only just bacon, it's deep fried bacon. So, Dude, if a woman showed up with a plate of those, I would marry her. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, ladies. You, you that's uh, Seth at the uh, Seth at every at everyday Linux or no, Seth at elementop.com. Bring your pictures of sweet bacon tater tots. <laughs> wow, that looks that looks awesome. That that's awesome, Chris. Uh huh. I know. I, I knew it. I'm actually. Pr- I've, I'm going to be printing this out, and I'm gonna see if I can get me and my wife to to make up some. It takes about thirty five minutes from start to finish to to eat it. So, um, it looks it looks so good that I I I'm actually I will actually help make this one. Cool. Well, you know, while I was over on ZDNet, um, just uh mentally eviscerating david's article i came across a link to uh 100 years of computing uh from punch cards to floppy disk basically it's just a slideshow of what early tech looked like um and it kind of comes from the ibm museum charting the rise of the company and of computing so it's um you know it's just kind of neat to look at stuff some of it a lot of it predates me um there's pictures of hard drives with like five megs um and how much they cost you know and how big they are in comparison to uh you know you can get a terabyte thumb drive now um for cheaper than five megs was back then but anyway i just click through look at them and, and see where we've came from and just remember that what you're looking at was more cutting edge to them than, you know, the iPhone 6 will be when it comes out this year. Um, so just pretty neat. You know what's funny? What? The, what's funny is 
the very first image is an old punch card from IBM, right. an old punch card machine. When I went to school, we had one of those in our school. Wow. Um, obviously it was, it was old and decrepit and didn't work very well, but we actually, we would go in there and they would say, this is something that you'll probably never see and then show us how it worked and then it went away. But it was, it was a, the old punch card. I actually have seen one and touched one and it worked. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's an interesting little guy. Let's just put it that way. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And, um, let's see. I just want to mention again that next week we're going to have Christy Eller. Um, she does some, uh, technical writing and I came across some of her articles and was intrigued and I thought she would make a great guest. So I shot her an email and she got back to me. And so we're going to be chatting with her next week. Um, and hopefully we will have the Sultan of the Soapbox back to give us a full, uh, a full lineup. So, uh, Chris, if somebody wanted to get in touch with us, how would they do that? Well, that's easy. They'd go over to our website, elementop.com. Uh, they could follow us on the Twitters or Facebook, or they could just give us a call, a classic phone call over at 559-IAM-OP. And if you, obviously none of us are going to answer the phone, but we'll get a voicemail and we could put it on the show and we might berate you or might thumbs you up or, or even say funny things about you or butcher your name because we horribly butcher people's names. So bring over your cop, your topics, bring over your subjects, send us some feedback. Um, and if I have to, I will invoke pseudo, send us some feedback. And, uh, we'll talk to you guys another time. And Seth, you got anything else? Uh, no, I was going to say if, if, if they're too lazy to actually dial the numbers, they can go to our website and click on the call me button and you will get a call from Google voice and you can leave your message that way. Um, I did that once to another show on the network and. I was surprised at how fast they called. So cool stuff. But yeah, I guess, uh, I guess until next week, this is the, uh, I, I'm the gooey kid saying see you later. And I'm the command line godfather. Have a good night. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>